0: Welcome to the Restoration Church podcast, Behind the Sermon, where we get to sit in on a conversation between our pastors and hear about what they're learning, what they're teaching, and what God is doing throughout our church. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, welcome to the Behind the Sermon podcast. I'm Pastor Nate, and I'm joined here with our guest speaker today, Pastor Dennis Marcourt. And also his wife is here Bevvy Joe will address that she's in the room. Hey Bevvy Joe, but she's not going to talk. She's just she's going to do sign language on the podcast. <laughs> and uh and uh so and in the room. If you're watching on YouTube, you can listen to her there. Um just kidding. We're not on YouTube in case people go looking for the link. Um well, thanks for being here guys. Thanks for being here Pastor Dennis. Before we start, one thing that I wanted to say um to you before, like during the baptism, just obviously in the Dover baptisms, at least it was a huge heritage, uh, focus as, uh, we had a great grandfather and grandfather baptizing, uh, great grandchildren and grandkids. We had a pair of sisters whose dad been started coming to church here when he was in third grade. Um, and, uh But I wanted to, and then my, the former pastor of Restoration Church, Dave Blakeney was at service today. And I meant to say something about him as well, but short on time. And I always talk too long, but um, I wanted to say, I I would say for the last seven years of my life, you were the, you have been the key spiritual influence in my life. And so I just wanted to share that with the church, a little bit of behind the scenes of, you know, we didn't have you come because you're a former district official and we needed a week to fill. We had you come because you're important to me in my life and you've been important. You've affected the church. They haven't known it, but you've affected the church because you poured into me and believed in me. So thank you for that. And thanks for being yeah. here today.
1: Amen. It's uh, you, I, I really appreciate that, Nate. And I was looking forward to coming not just for the church, but to be here with you.
0: Yeah, we're gonna go out to eat here after service, and um, so you preached today. Come boldly, and yep. uh, you, you know, I think that's something. I, I liked what you what you said, like you know, because we read that that verse. Come boldly to the throne of grace, and we just read it. We just read right, right through it, but we oftentimes because of our background, because we're you know, a couple thousand years removed because we don't really understand the context that Jesus lived in. We have no idea the, really how, you know, when he said that, how much the, the, the crowd would have reacted. Yeah, that was, was a radical written,
1: statement. It was absolutely radical because it was written to Hebrews.
0: Because you didn't, no one approached God boldly. Right. Right? Well, maybe some people, who, who approached God boldly?
1: Moses had a face-to-face relationship with God, but that was rare in the Old
0: Covenant. Yeah, and I don't know, I wonder if he, if he was bold about it, right? He's just like, he always seems to me as reluctant, right? He always seemed to yeah. me like a reluctant leader, even at the end of it
1: well he knew his own shortages i mean even when god called him you remember he came up with five excuses why he can't be the leader right so there was reluctance there i mean that was that was part of the personality of who you were under the old covenant is you were reluctant to believe god saw anything good in you
0: yeah who so old testament boldness you can think about brash or brazen that's not bold um
1: but well, you mentioned one of them during the uh, Gideon. I mean, he was a nobody, and he even said that he said, um, the clans. I'm in the least of the clan, et cetera, et cetera. But God, what? How did God address him? How the angel of the Lord address him?
0: Mighty man, of mighty God. man. And, and I think from the point forward, once he accepted his assignment, which took him a while to do, it did. But once he once he accepted it, he just did it. Yep. Which is kind of cool. Like it took him a long time to get. And he he stood up to his
1: father's (laughs) gods and tore him down, which was unthinkable back in that day.
0: Yeah. It's, um, why? Talk to me about this. What what are your thoughts on why, you, you know, so God's hanging out with Adam and Eve. He's hanging out in the cool of the day. And. How many years longer till he finally sets up the tabernacle in the holy of holies? Why do you think he? Because it was a, quite a while. I mean, it's a lot of generations until yep. he finally locks it up into he, he designs the tabernacle and. Well, before you, you think, got before yeah. you
1: get there, God saw that the whole earth was wicked, and up to Noah's day, when Noah was only about a few generations past Abr- or Adam. Um, so God's so wicked, he destroyed the whole earth back at that time to start over. Right. So they weren't ready for a tabernacle because they weren't even interested in God. Uh, so he started over with Noah and his family, and then we get some several generations down the line where the children of Israel, Joseph's family, and God picks Joseph out. And he gets rather braggadocious about the coat of many colors and being the favorite son, which sets the dynamics for them ending up in Egypt Um, where eventually when they finally, his whole family moves there, the 70 of them, they're there for a while, for 400 years, but later on they're just slaves because another pharaoh rose up who knew not uh, Josephs um, knew of Joseph, so they they turned against the Israelites. That's when God decided to come up with the, but they weren't ready for a tabernacle or a relationship with God until they had a tabernacle because they'd just been slaves. They had no concept of who God was.
0: Would it be fair to say that prior to Joseph worship of God was pretty much just a family? Yeah. And so after the Exodus now it's millions of people. Yep. And that is that Yeah, because one when of you, the possible and reasons? even even
1: with the Egyptian thing, it, it says very clearly in the text when they left Egypt, many Egyptians went with them. Right. because they saw the contest between the gods they worshiped and the God of Israel and God that's what the nine the nine plagues most people don't understand the plagues every one of those plagues was a direct attack on one of the gods the principal gods of Egypt and God made a contest out of each one uh, just as an example the Egyptians worshiped for fertility the frog goddess heck it was a woman's body with a frog on a head she was the god that, women would go to to worship at the temple of heck to want to get pregnant and have and for fertility so what was that plague about God w- multiply it, it's almost a sense of humor right. God almost has a sense of humor in that plague because he says you want a lot of heck I'll give you a lot of heck right <laughs> and it spread uh, f- uh, frogs everywhere throughout Egypt including their beds and their pots and and of course then they all died and they rotted and smelled and that's probably the plague up for the flies <laughs> that keep later for sure but that was a direct contest. So after nine of those, the principal god was Ra, uh, which was the sun god. That was the, one of the last plagues before the, the killing of the firstborn. But it was after that the, the, even a lot of the Egyptians went with them into the wilderness and to go to the promised land. So It was national at right. that point, and then it was open to the world. But just God always wanted that. God always wanted the whole world to know him. But that was a tough assignment in the, under an old covenant.
0: Joseph, as you brought his name up, he's probably a clear example of boldly going before yeah, God. Yeah. He never questioned anything that right. God said. And he was almost, he had an innocence or an, uh, in a good way, uh, he was naive about what God said. He, he just knew no limitation. Oh, I just, I just had this dream.
1: And look how God used him because yeah. he was bold. Yeah. What would happen if we were all bold in our relationship with yeah, God? Yeah, it's
0: just, um, you know, we would take on the identity of prisoner. The mm-hmm. the, the the Pharaoh wants to talk to you. Well, I'm just, a, I'm just a prisoner. He needs to go find someone else. My best days are behind me. Anytime I've tried to do anything good, it's only ended up worse for me. So he, the Pharaoh can go talk to someone else. But it was just like Pharaoh wants to talk to you. He had a dream. Oh, yeah. I'll tell him about his dream, and he's just always willing. He yep. never, he never held back at all, and always moving forward, always doing what God wanted. So the tabernacle gets set, then the temple yep. gets built. Talk to us about um the high priest, you, you know, and. First why would anybody want that job? Exactly,
1: especially right? after a couple of them didn't make it.
0: But but did you you know why do you think God set it up that way where one guy one time a year why what, what what do you think was the uh, the reason the reason for that? Well, if you in
1: the New Testament it says all that stuff in the Old Covenant was meant to be a school teacher was meant to teach that God was desperately trying, but in an unholy condition where man still had, didn't have a full propitiation. There hadn't been a complete sacrifice for sins made. That's why they were constantly sacrificing. Over, They had to make sacrifices over and over and over again because it only temporarily covered their sin. It didn't remove them. So to the old covenant, you had a holy God and you had a bunch of unholy people. So it was hard to come into God's presence, and God selected one person to represent all of them, By but that was still his message. His message in all that was still, I want to be with you. Uh, and that was the ultimate promise for the prophesied uh, Messiah that was going to come. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, that, that phrase is used frequently in the Bible, too, God with us, or God go with us. And I mentioned this morning, come is used all the time in the Bible, it's one of the, the Almost two thousand times in the King James.
0: Yeah, that you know that that uh, God wanting us is uh, really can be so hard to. And by the way, that
1: temple and that tabernacle image doesn't disappear in the new covenant because of what happened on the day of Pentecost?
0: Uh, the, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came Those in the room believers. where the hundred
1: and twenty were gathered. Yep. Fire first came in the room as a ball, and then separated, and a ball of, and a flame of fire went on the head of each one of them. Well, there were only two times in the old covenant that fire fell from heaven, as God's way of saying, "I accept this as my dwelling place." One was when the tabernacle was um, was uh, dedicated in the in the wilderness, when Moses finished setting it up. It says, a fire came from heaven, consumed the sacrifices, and then the presence of God was with them for that time, and that's why they carried it with them everywhere they went. The only other time that happened was when Solomon built the permanent temple. It says, on that day of dedication, that fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, and the presence of God was so powerful that even the priests fled this temple, the temple. Mm. So, m- most people miss this on the day of Pentecost, because it always gets the focus, always gets the speaking in tongues thing. Right, right. But it was highly significant that a ball of fire came in the room because that was God's way. And Paul actually addresses to the Corinthians this. He says, don't you know that you all are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, that was the fulfillment of the temple that God always wanted. In the Old Covenant, and I had that in my text. I didn't read it this morning from when I was preaching. But in the old te- even under the Old Covenant, God said, I don't dwell in, in, in buildings made by man's hand. And God never wanted to be in a building right. made by man's hand. But until the fullness of time came, when Christ came, that was, that was the only way they could they could address God directly. Uh, but when Jesus came, so on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had already come. He had resur- been resurrected. The new covenant was fully in, in place. John 20 actually mentions that. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the new birth at that, that moment. That wasn't the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a separate event. But on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't just about the tongues. It was about the fire right. coming in the room, supernatural fire, because it didn't burn anybody. And that was God saying, the church is now my temple. Right. And then it split, and a tongue of fire stood over each one of them. And Paul, in chapter 9 of Corinthians, I think it is, it's 6 and 3, uh, one says, don't you know that you all, plural, are a temple of the Holy Spirit? That's the church. And the other passage, Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Singular. So both the church and us individually are now the temple. So the holy of holies dwells in us and Christ actually dwells in us. That's a powerful change from the old covenant. Yeah. Because now we don't have to go someplace to get into God's presence, which they had to do. That's why the men went to Jerusalem three times a year, sometimes six times a year, but they had to go uh, there to the temple that was in Jerusalem in order to be in God's presence. Uh, Well, we don't have to do that because we're the temple we the temple individually and we're the temple as a church.
0: So when people, let's talk about like some wonky or wacky things that church people do because, they, because they're misinterpreting that right. theology or even unsaved people. That happens. So one always that I, you know, that I used to always hear, especially when I was a youth pastor, you'd hear kids whispering, don't say that. This is a church. Don't do that. This is a church. And obviously... It's a building. It's a building, a and church building. Trying to help people understand, you don't need to be concerned about what you do right. when you're inside of a building. You need to be concerned with what's inside your heart. Absolutely. And I remember preach. I preached a sermon. I mean, long time ago, at youth group, and um, I went through. It was just a youth group we're in the church auditorium, and I went through it and like destroyed the church auditorium. Like I was flipping chairs over, and um, <laughs> I wouldn't do this again. But flipping chairs over and knocking stuff over, I had like a, a few staged things, like vases full of flowers that I broke and smashed. And th- the point was, like, th- you were all concerned that we've done this to the church, but in the meantime, what are we doing? to ourselves as the temple yep. and preach that. And, you know, we're cussing, we're looking at stuff, we're gossiping, we're jealous, we're, and we're essentially destroying the temple. Like we're going yep. flipping chairs and smashing vases in our heart in a place that was dedicated to be holy and pure for the Lord.
1: And a study not done too long ago, the number one reason people were atheists were because of bad behaving Christians. Yeah, that's really sad yeah. because it takes the context of us being the temple of the Holy Spirit out of that context. We need to be very concerned about what we say, how we act, not just in church, but outside of church. Yeah. And we need to honestly make sure we reflect who Christ is. And, and people say, well, how do you, how do you deal with that? My best explanation for that is Mozart was an amazing composer. I mean, I I like classical music. I've got some albums at home, and I love to listen to Mozart and Tchaikovsky and all these guys. I just think it's an uh, amazing—but an 8-year-old was playing a piano recital and playing a Mozart piece, and it sounded—she was terrible. She was just horrible at playing it. And a guy said, this Mozart guy couldn't have been very good. Listen to how crappy that sounds. And it was crappy because she just wasn't doing a good job. But just because (laughs) she messed up the piece doesn't mean that the composer is bad. It just means she hasn't learned to play it well. Right. And I think that for some of us, we need to be at least a little bit compassionate that all of us who call ourselves Christians aren't perfect. And uh, we should try to be as perfect. I mean, the scripture says be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. That's a pretty tall order, (laughs) But we do need to be sensitive about that so that we're not giving the impression that Mozart up there is uh, is a bad composer just because we played it poorly. But that's how some people judge. And people shouldn't judge God based on our performance. They should judge God for who he is. And we need to judge ourselves to make sure that our performance, not somebody else's, but our performance measures up to what he wants us to to be.
0: What are some of the... Do you, can you think any stories come to mind of people who, or or churches who fell in love with a building, oh, yeah. or made it about a building? Anything you can think of that comes to mind? And
1: yeah, but I don't know if I should mention the, the
0: place. You don't have to mention the place, <laughs> but tell us a story. Uh, we'll assume they're all from Vermont.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember because you're a
0: superintendent. You led the churches in Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Yeah. So I'm sure over the last 40 years, you've seen a lot of craziness.
1: Yeah, I mean, there I've seen churches fight over uh, a curtain that was taken down from the pulpit or from the platform.
0: Th- this church uh, knows that they don't know where it was, but I talked just a couple yep. weeks ago about being in that meeting. So Pastor yep. Dennis was in that meeting. You've just he's. Coll- Co- corroborated it. I wasn't exaggerating. Yeah,
1: no, you weren't exaggerating. It was two hours of screaming and yelling and and uh, almost profanities and stuff over
0: curtains. Not not the yeah. not the curtain in the holy of holies here. Right,
1: right, which is was just so bizarre. But I've been in that's not that's just a church example. Right. I mean, I've seen them fight over how the building fund was used or the color of the carpet in the nursery. That's why when we, we went through three building programs, the church that we planted in Vermont, and when it came to picking out decor, I said, make a committee. Whatever they come up with, I'm happy with. I'm not going to argue about the color of the carpet or any of that because it just wasn't important to me. My right. my calling as a senior pastor was that both myself and my staff that we were teaching the congregation to love people and reach out to people because Jesus wants them?
0: Yeah, well, it's different for me. the 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 paint and the aesthetic is important to me. Well, it can be, um, but th- for the one, right reasons. But there's different. One reasons. of the things that I always communicate is that um, the the I always say the building. The building. The building's a tool, it's a tool for ministry. Even like yesterday I messaged the church and I was like, "Um, church tomorrow, backspace, backspace, church service tomorrow is gonna be unreal. And I always make sure I add church service when I communicate. It's like just little subtle things I'm trying to do. Um, You know, we wanna steward the buildings well, take care of the buildings well. But if we get the opportunity, Let's sell the building and build a better one. Let's sell the yeah. building and move to a different one. You know, the only thing that I hate is when a church turns into a bar or as I most recently saw a couple weeks ago, a uh, church was a dollar dollar store. It was a Dollar Tree in Boston. Ooh. And uh, the one in Berlin, New Hampshire, the church is a casino now. I don't know if you ever saw that one when you were up there. Oh. And so, it, listen, if you're selling the building... And, it's, and you've moved on because you've outgrown it, great. But unfortunately, that's not what's happening. Churches are closing down because they are protecting a building. They're right. living for the wrong things. They're fighting over the wrong things. And, and, and they're not realizing the building's nothing. The, caring for the building's nothing. One of the things that I've... I don't, I don't think I've said it in a long time, but definitely back when we were launching... Um, the Dover location or when I just become lead pastor around the same time, but it was uh, people, not steeples. And in this area, especially in New England, you always see those thermometer signs outside of churches, save yeah. our steeple, save our steeple. But in the meantime, we're in the least church region in the country. Three million people in Northern New England didn't go to any church today, right. let alone the ones who aren't preaching the gospel and there's no concern for save the people in our community right. it's about steeples and our focus is not to be building preservation right it's about eternal souls
1: yeah and and uh, just to make a clarification the building is important as a tool but it's not an idol right and i'm supposed to worship it it does it's no more sacred than any other building except when we're present God's presence is with us, so it's sacred for those moments we're to gather together because we are His church, and we are in a church building. That's all it is.
0: Yeah, Uh, that whole and so we need to be concerned about the temple, the real that we are. Yeah, Yeah. that changed on the day of
1: Pentecost, didn't it?
0: Yeah. So, you know, you've been following Jesus for a long, long time what are, what have been the things you've been doing to maintain your temple? How do well, you keep it right? How do you keep it as a, uh,
1: so, or, I'm, a lot, I'm a lot less focused on issues and stuff now that I'm not a district superintendent, so I'm more focused on what we can do together to minister to people. We try ministering in our in our neighborhood to people by giving them we i have a lot of fruit and food. So I always invite my neighbors to pick fruit from us. We started a home fellowship group in our in in our house. So we have about twenty some people that come every Tuesday night, and they're almost all new believers, or they're just new to the church that we attend when we're there.
0: I, I want to stop right there and commend you for that, right? Because so as a young pastor, I'm I've seen this more than once. So you know, so I'm not thinking about any in particular, I'm thinking about a lot of people in particular, <laughs> but of guys who stepped out of their ministry assignment or retired, and they're not going to church anywhere.
1: Ooh, well, that wouldn't be us. It, yeah.
0: And so you guys, from before you retired, you were already plugged in, you already had a home church in your town yep. you live in. And then once you retired, you went to church. That's yep. novel concept. And unless
1: I'm out preaching, that's where we are, obviously. Yeah.
0: And you're part of us, we would say, a circle. So you're yeah. part of a home group, but yeah. a circle at your church, get you people over I mean, it's just unbelievable. Here's someone, a couple, who's been serving the Lord a long time in ministry, and they are living what they were preaching all these years. Yeah. It's... I would I would say it's not rare, but it's just you you just always hear the horror stories, and I just want to Point to the church, to you guys that you know of. You weren't just playing pastor; you weren't doing pastor as career. You did it because you love Jesus and you wanted to help other people. The church is literally
1: the body of Christ. It's absolutely important. That's even when I was a superintendent, I didn't. Didn't care that much about what the district office looked like. I I twenty years I never fixed. We never did any major renovations on the property uh, because I was more interested in the churches and our pastors uh, and them being healthy. That was my biggest focus, and uh, and I don't regret that one bit.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for going to church.
1: Yeah. Uh, for real. Like, and I'm also going to be driving up to Faith School of Theology. And Since I have a master's degree, they've asked me to teach. So I told them I'll try one semester and see what it awesome. goes. So, so this fall, I got to drive up almost three hours up there, and I'll be teaching a class on church planting and growth.
0: Awesome, cool. That's great. Congrats on the new uh, on Perfect. the new career. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: A long drive.
0: I don't know if we've got anybody coming in there, but Pastor Stephen and his wife folks graduated from faith school. Yeah, we got a lot. And then uh, Mike Tremblay was in the youth group here, but just became youth pastor in uh, at new life assembly. Mm-hmm. He just graduated from there, him and his fiance. So that's awesome. Excited to have you up there.
1: Yeah. It'll be different.
0: So listen, other things you can think through in the message in the message, or anything that you didn't have a chance to put in there? No, I think
1: the only that would have been the only other thing I was going to expound a little bit on was the temple and uh, because it still is a, a part. And Jesus said, "I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it." So those were always kind of student teaching tools of the Old Covenant to be more grandly uh, finalized in the new covenant, but still a very real part. I mean, only we're in the temple now. Yeah. And the tabernacle. The tabernacle was portable. The temple was uh, solid or positioned in one place.
0: How do you think the temple is going to get rebuilt, right? Because I think most of us believe that, you know, according to scripture and prophecy, that the temple will be rebuilt. Not everybody believes that, but I think most of Christianity believes yeah,
1: that. And I, within our tradition, that is true. And uh, ironically, I don't know if you've been following the news, but when I, I went over to Israel back in, before 2020 sometime. I don't remember what year it was. And when I was over there, they had a huge golden candlestick on the square that was probably 10 feet, 12 feet tall, and it was behind six inches of plexiglass, bulletproof glass, and they have that already made for when they have the temple, they're going to move it into the temple. But they have it on display right now. Um, and I read something last week where they've got some other instruments that they've been forging. So
0: I went there's um, there's whatever museum it is. Um, I went to it, um, and they've got, I mean, very intricate pieces of. I mean, you could see it, so much of it. The guy who led the tour for me said that they that they have the Ark of the Covenant in hiding. And it's hard to know, but I've heard other stories and people talk about that as well, I've that they it have too. it in hiding. And then as soon as they're ready, as soon as they get the chance, they have everything ready. They've got the instruments ready. They've got- I've heard that too. You know, the candlestick that you talked yeah. about. I, I told the church last year during one of our series, I forget what it was, but you remember all the, the news about the five red heifers that for the first time- Six. Six red heifers that for the first time are now in Israel- yeah. And they've been trying to breed them. those for yep. the last however many, like 80 years they've been trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And they finally had a pair that qualified. And so those are over there now. Yep. But how do you, what are your thoughts on, because obviously there's a big hiccup right now or a big hurdle. Yep. There's a a mosque where there used to be a temple. And what do you think well, that's, happens?
1: Well, that's under debate because the, the actual Solomon's actual temple may have been on the other side. Uh, than where the mosque is. So, so that's
0: something I thought too, like there's going to be some so they might piece still, of cord that they, they build them side yeah. by side? Uh, that's, that's a real possibility. Uh,
1: you know, uh, our former president was the only president that ever, uh, and I'm not saying that because I'm politically on his side or anything, but no president of the United States ever recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel until um, the previous president. Yep. And they, we moved the consulate there. That was a huge thing. And most people don't know this, but that was actually done on May 4th. I think it was May 4th or May 14th. I can't remember which date it is now. That was exactly 70 years to the day that Israel was declared as a, as a nation. And 70 days, 70 years to a day. Right. 70 is a pretty strategic number for Israel. It was there, the number of the Sabbath. So, uh, I think there was some, probably some things spiritually happening behind the scenes that most people didn't catch on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to happen. It's, and it's kind of sad in some ways because they're trying to remake the old covenant, put it back into existence for them. Right. But at some point in that future, and poss- poss- possibly after the rapture, um, Jesus is going to reveal himself as the true Messiah to them. Right. so there'll be some salvation of israel at some point yeah
0: and it's interesting to think about and the one thing I, and i i've i've said this probably on the podcast before i always i never know if i'm repeating myself or not but but you haven't heard it um when covid was happening and people were like it's the end it's the end i'm like well i don't think this is the end this moment, like these events aren't, you can see how it's a precursor and how everything will be controlled in the future. But that being said, I also wouldn't be surprised to turn on the news today and find out that an army overtook the the temple and, and you know, and here we go, right? Things were so wild and so crazy at that moment. I mean, they still are. You just, one day we'll turn on the news and it's like, Israeli forces have, and then it's, hold on to your seat, it's it's happening. I mean, it's always moving forward, and so much we don't know and don't see. And it feels like an eternity to us, but it's moving very, very quickly.
1: You know, COVID actually did the church a favor in a way, in a crazy sort of way. And, And we all look back at that as such a negative thing. But I remember even making a statement. Um, I sent it out on the email when I was superintendent that we've always said the buildings and uh, is not the church. Now we're going to find out where the church right. really is because we couldn't meet in our buildings. Uh, but that didn't stop the church from being active, and it didn't stop the gospel from being preached. In fact, it accelerated it because everybody went online. That wasn't necessarily a bad thing. If Satan thought he was shutting the church down in America, he actually caused the gospel to be preached in an even more effective way.
0: The eight, I think our church was shut down for eight weeks, if I remember right. I literally woke up every morning. The first thought in my mind was, God, thank you so much that I get to lead right now. And it was the most exciting yeah. adventure because it was the Wild West. There was no rules. There was right. no tradition. There right. was nothing. No people saying, you can't do that. Like, and it was just, let's go for it. I love that eight weeks. And I probably got a little bit of depressed once we opened back up because now we had to like follow the rules again. Yeah. And, but and it was so awesome. And we, I try to lead like that still. And I'm probably this year I'm leading more like that than ever. That's like good. whatever, like we're going for it. We're going for it. We're going for it. And, um. Yeah, anyway, it was fun times. Yeah. The last, maybe, I don't know, the computer that's recording us, the screensaver went on, so I have no idea (laughs) how long we recorded. I have no idea if it's recording, so we might call you back tomorrow and do this all over again um, on Zoom. But the the thing I got, right, so we think about our, we're at the temple, and I remember... You know, the wonky things that people believe. The, uh, I remember getting yelled at because the youth group was doing a fundraiser at church. And Jesus said, this is to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. You shouldn't be doing fundraisers, whatever. And I'm like, okay, I don't think Jesus is ticked off. They were trying to send kids to summer camp. right? It, you know, that's not the point of the story. But I think about Jesus showing up in our temple. And like, Nick Gagney, you little, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, not a den of couch potatoes, get up and do something, not a den of, you know, and we just think about him showing up in our temple and what would he be whipping and flipping over and saying, get this stuff out of here. This is not, this is not the type of place that the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in. So let's do some cleanup work.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a good analogy because the temple had to be pristine. There was only certain articles were allowed in there. One was intercession. One was the bread of uh, the covenant. Uh, there were certain things. They all had spiritual meaning implications, which we can transfer to us if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if we clutter the room with a bunch of other stuff, it only interferes with the fact that we can have this relationship with God. So that's our job. Our job is the the Levites' job was to maintain the temple, except for the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in there, uh, but there was just one item in there, anyways, and nobody else went in there except him once a year on Kippur. Uh, but the Levites are responsible. If we're supposed to be called a nation of priests, if we're all the priesthood of all believers, then we're responsible for this temple and its upkeep. Uh, not not the not just the building that, that we worship in. It's the the temple that we are. So that's a personal responsibility, and we will answer to God for how we take care of that.
0: Yeah. Man. Well, listen, thanks for coming and preaching today. You got yeah. to be here on a big day.
1: Yeah, that was cool.
0: 20. I don't know. I We had some people not show up who were scheduled, to, who signed up to be water baptized. I don't know how that works. Wow. But we also had some people sign up today. So I haven't heard... What the total was at all locations, but um, there was 14 in Dover and there, it was, I never heard what the other locations was. I thought someone had texted it to me, but I think um, we did. We had over 500 people in service today, um, which might be. But that's definitely a July record for sure, for sure. I don't know what the same weekend was last year, but it was not 500. I'll tell you that. But um, I wonder how many, bapt- and then, so anyway, with the, it'll, you know, be considered if 21 were water baptized today, that breaks a record for us too, for our church, that in a single calendar year, um, in 2021, we water baptized 66 people. And that was the most we'd ever done in a year. So we passed that today. So we, we, we with 21 people, that would have put us at 70 for the year so far. And um, yeah, it's like, it's people like Hayden today, the teenager who three weeks ago was not a Christian, gave his life to Jesus at summer camp and then signs up to be water baptized three days later. Um yeah, special, special stuff, and it happens because of your prayer, because of your leadership. Um, you know, you're a huge part in that because you believed in me, because you invested your time, your energy, your encouragement, your prayers into me and the Restoration Church. And anyway, not sharing those to pride, but sharing those to say that's part of your victory too. Like, it's unbelievable. And thank you, like for me, from the church, from the staff, thank you both for, um, you know, for, for everything over, over the last, uh, I don't know how long I've been literally pastor now, but 2011 so the last 12 years. Um, you guys are awesome. We're so glad that you came here today and ministered. Thanks for a great word and great job, a great song at the end, Baby Joe. And uh, yeah, we love you.
1: We are very honored to be here and excited to see the church. The temple was meant to bring people into God's presence. The church is meant to bring people into God's presence. Yeah. That's why it existed. And baptism just reflects that people have come to have fellowship with God. Yeah. Good job. Keep it up.
0: Proud we, of you. Thank you. We usually close with like a book or a podcast recommendation or even a sermon series recommendation. Anything that you've ever found particularly helpful on studying either ourselves as a temple or getting background history on the temple or tabernacle? Uh, most stuff's commentaries and we occasionally we recommend a commentary or a different like a different type of study Bible. I just didn't know if there's anything that you've ever. If you want to get used.
1: something that's reasonably priced, uh, Tyndale has paperbacks on all the books of the Bible. They're different authors. They're authors who are experts on those particular books. They're usually very inexpensive, um, and I highly recommend it because they're very accurate. They go into enough detail; it doesn't overwhelm the average believer. And uh, but there's a lot of good, great information in there. There's another book called Manners and Customs of the Bible. I can't think of the guy's name that's the um, the author of that, but that's a great book, too, for digging a little deeper into the customs and the manners of the time. That's actually what sparked my sermon. I was, I was, several months ago, I was listening to a guy talk about how crazy that verse was in Hebrews 4.16 when it was given to a bunch of Hebrews. And, and I have right. studied the book... All the time, and never thought about the context of that, and thought, "Wow, that's so radical! This this needs to be a sermon." So that's what yeah. that, that's actually what caused the the emphasis on me developing that into a message.
0: Is it uh, James Midwinter Freeman? Yeah, Freeman. He's the guy. James Freeman. Yep. All right. Cool. That's good. I I have not read that, so I think that would be a good one to pick out.
1: Yeah, it's a good book. It's about that thick.
0: Cool. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for the recommendation. And again, thank you guys so much for being here. And uh, church, we do it all again next week. Amen. And continue uh, letting the Lord lead us and reaching just one more.